Hi, my name is Pastor Paul Goddard, and I would like to welcome you to the Sunday Sermon podcast series from Bethel Assembly of God. In these podcasts, we will be sharing our Sunday morning messages so that you can keep up with all the teachings that are going on here at Bethel. We want to invite you to join us in person on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. at 6029 Lapeer Road in Burton, Michigan. Bethel Assembly of God, we are a family. And as family, we grow. And as family, we go. I hope this message blesses and encourages you. Thank you. Since a kid. Today, I want to go a little bit of a different direction. Um, There's some of the things we, we don't like to talk about in church. And one of those things is betrayal. And surrounding the Easter story and surrounding Jesus' crucifixion and the triumphal entry and the resurrection are two very large, deep betrayals that Jesus suffers. Um, But I want to start out because it is Palm Sunday, and in Matthew chapter 21, this is verse 1 through 11, it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt the full of a beast of burden. The disciples went out and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks. And he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds went before him that, and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth Nazareth of Galilee. So Palm Sunday, for us, with a triumphal entry and everything that goes on with it, it really, it didn't start being observed until about 300 years after the church really got going and really started. Um, There are other churches who do different things for it and practice around it um, with Passion Week and Holy Week that goes with it, all the way up leading to Sunday with the resurrection of Jesus. Now, what Palm Sunday is really about is Passover. When we look at it, when we think about Palm Sunday, but it's all about Passover because that is when people would flock to Jerusalem. They would bring their lambs to the temple for inspection by the priests. It's a day when many Jewish pilgrims would just be arriving into Jerusalem in preparation for Passover, which would begin in four days. Now, there was a lot of excitement in the air as people renewed friendships, welcomed one another to the feast, and this is what Jesus was coming into. He was coming into a city that not only was anticipating his arrival, but was already electric with what was going on. So when the people waved palm branches and they cried, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What they're doing is they're actually, they're looking for a leader who would save them from the oppression of the Roman government. 
Jesus had already shown his power to heal and work miracles. At, at this point, he's already fed the multitudes twice. They've seen him in action. But Passover, for the Jewish people, was a time when they became very, very passionate about who they are as a national identity and as a people. Um, I've heard, heard one scholar state that the waving of the palm branch is the equivalent of when we go to a Memorial Day parade and wave our American flag. It, it's the same aspect. They were very patriotic, patriotic, and it's common for someone to come forward during Passover and start a problem and start an uprising against the governments that were over them. This was something that was going on. And as, as Passover drew near, the population of Jerusalem, I want you to think about that, the population of Jerusalem at the time was around half a million people. It would swell to around two million people. Now, I don't know, you know, I grew up in East Lansing, and I lived at one time about a quarter of a mile from Spartan Stadium. And on Saturdays, now granted, East Lansing is a city of 40,000 people. When MSU is in session, East Lansing is a city of 80,000 people. On football Saturdays for home games, East Lansing becomes a city of 195,000 people. This is that same kind of effect where people are just swelling in. There aren't any more places to go. There aren't any, no, if we're talking modern day, there's no more places to park. There's just more people is what's going on. Every Jewish home was to be open to pilgrims who would travel for days to be there for the feast. So if you lived in Jerusalem, you were expected to open up your home to receive guests because there was no place else for them to go. The streets were packed. The marketplace was teeming. Everybody was getting ready for Passover. So when Jesus rides in on the donkey and fulfills Zechariah 9.9, the crowds go wild. They are there and they're ready for everything to go and everything to burst. But, but just like God does, he's got a different idea and he's got a different plan. Jesus didn't come to save the Jewish people or the world from our circumstances came to save us from our sins. Now, that doesn't mean he can't, and that doesn't mean God won't help you with the problems that we face in the real world. I want to be clear on that. Uh, God cares about our real-world problems. He does. He doesn't ignore them in favor of spiritual things. He knows we have both. He knows how he created us, and he knows he created us both spiritually and physically. But his primary mission on earth for Jesus is not what people thought it was going to be. Even his disciples were pretty sure that he was going to establish a physical kingdom on earth when he came the first time. So even though the people are looking for, you know, a king, a warrior king to come in and set up and free them from Rome, what they got was a lamb. A lamb to be led to the slaughter so that he could truly save them. Now these cheers and cries of Hosanna, we know, we've all, we've read the story, they don't last. They didn't stay. 
They faded quickly. Within a week, a day that started with celebration and joy and cries of Hosanna turned to anger and cries of crucify him. But before the masses and the crowds got their chance to turn on Jesus, there were two members of his inner circle who kicked it off. Uh, Matthew 26, 17 through 25. It says, Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. The disciples did as Jesus directed them and prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he reclined at a table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, one after another, Is it I, Lord? And he answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it was written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, You have said so. Now when you move forward to verse 30, and it says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter says to him, Even if I must die, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Have you ever witnessed a couple trying to decide a baby name before? You get these incredible lists. It's cute, and they, you, know, you start to look at the names and their meanings. Um, if, it's, if you're giving a middle name, does the first name and the middle name work out? Do the initials spell something horrible? You've got to be careful about what's going on. Um, you can find some, uh, some weird names. I've come across some weird names in my life, uh, working with people and uh, working with kids. But one of the least popular names that you will ever find is Judas. In fact, I, in my 43 years on earth, have never met a person named Judas, ever. I've met three people named Lucifer, but never anyone named Judas. I mean, who wants to be associated with the person who betrays Jesus and led the authorities to arrest and eventually crucify him? Judas, in fact, the name Judas is a word we use to even call people somebody who betrays somebody. You're a Judas. Now, on the other hand, a name that people often put on their short list for their sons is Peter. It's a strong name. People love it. He's outspoken. He's loyal. He's one of the most notable of all the disciples, and we know he has a bit of a temper. He tells Jesus that he's going to be the most loyal. Even if he has to die for him, he's not going anywhere. We know that's not the case. Even up to his rest, though, Peter remains loyal to the point of cutting somebody's ear off. 
Are any of you that loyal? You're cutting loyal. So when Jesus tells Peter this, that he's going to openly deny him, Peter is shocked because he doesn't think he actually would. So those two names, Peter and Judas, they both followed Jesus. They both witnessed Jesus' miracles. They both heard his teachings. They both betrayed him. When we talk about the life of Jesus, we talk about his miracles. We talk about his teachings. And of course, um, with this week coming, we're going to talk a lot about his death and his resurrection. But one thing we have to talk about is that Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like when people around him let him down. So this morning, I want to take a look at both Judas and Peter because there's different things we can learn from their lives. They both may have let Jesus down. They both may have turned their backs on him. But there's differences in the way it happened and there's differences in the way they responded to their actions. So we're going to start with Judas because we first, we first meet him in Mark 3. Now, Judas doesn't start out as a villain in the story. Instead, Judas started out as somebody who was fully devoted to Jesus. He followed him. The problems came as Judas started to become less interested in who Jesus was and started to become more focused on what Jesus could do for him. The betrayal of Judas wasn't something that just happened. It's something that grew. It's something that was planted and grew. It was premeditated and it was developed over a season in his life. Now, when we look at the story of Judas, we start to see parts of his betrayal and his sin creeping into interactions during Jesus' ministry, specifically leading up to the triumphal entry in Passover. The first one that we see in this time frame is with the alabaster jar. Um, John 12, 3 through 5 says, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas, one of his disciples, and said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now, this is where we start to see the struggle of Judas. This woman, Mary, who is led by her love for Jesus, anoints his feet with an unbelievably expensive perfume. She humbles herself beneath the position of a servant, and she even wipes his feet with her hair. This scene is like none other that we read in Jesus' life. I, I don't find another scene of pure worship and adoration of Jesus anywhere else in the Gospels that we see right here. But Judas, Judas is disgusted. He says it's a waste. He says they would have been better off accepting the gift, selling it, and using the money to help the poor. Now this sounds, this sounds really noble. Judas is coming off sounding like he's doing something fantastic until you get into the background story of him and you realize that Judas, Judas is the treasurer. Judas is in charge of the money. 
And Judas has also been pocketing some of the money. We start to learn these things. We talked about this on one of our Wednesday night studies that it's odd that Judas is in charge of the money while Matthew, the tax collector, a finance person, sits over here not worthy of taking care of it. Judas had started moving from just participating in the ministry of Jesus to looking for ways on how he could gain from the work of Jesus and his fame and his notoriety. He starts to look for his own benefit in Jesus. The second thing is we see it in his betrayal itself. When he gives Jesus up, uh, in Matthew 26, 14 through 16, it says, Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he saw an opportunity to betray him. Now, I believe at one time, Judas loved Jesus. I believe that. When he first began following him, he believed in him believed he was the Messiah. The problem came that he believed that Jesus was going to be the Messiah that Judas wanted him to be, that Judas expected. Judas believed that the Messiah would come and be powerful, mighty, and establish Israel as a nation. And those who were closest to him would be elevated along this new king. So Judas felt no problem taking from Jesus and his ministry and the disciples when those expectations didn't happen. We've seen that before. When people's expectations aren't meant, it changes the way they behave. It changes the way they interact with people. Whether it's a spoken expectation, an unspoken expectation, we start to act differently towards people when they don't behave the way we assume they're going to behave. When they don't do for us the things we assume they're going to do for us. This is where Judas is at. And as it went on, it became clear to Judas that Jesus was not going to meet any of his expectations that Judas had. So he no longer had a use for this connection with Jesus. He moved from loving Jesus to trying to benefit from the glory of Jesus to having no need for him at all. So he approaches the religious leaders with an offer to betray Jesus. And it's not really an offer. He doesn't make an offer to betray Jesus. Instead, he doesn't even make a demand. He simply says, what will you give me? I don't have a price. Just give me something. And I'm willing to give up Jesus. Judas had let himself get caught up with where Jesus could take him, began to see him as a way to elevate himself. Judas had become greedy, fearful, angry. The Messiah he wanted was not the one who came. And he ends up falling and selling Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. We know how Judas' story ends. Judas dies horribly. One of the things we learn from Judas's life, though, is that we have to measure ourselves. We have to take a look at our motives and why we're doing something. Why are we following Jesus? Why am I praying this prayer? Am I doing it so I get a benefit? Am I doing it so that I can come out on top? 
Or am I doing it out of my love for Jesus? Am I doing it out of my love for God? Am I doing it to give glory to the kingdom of God? Judas' betrayal shows that even the closest of Jesus' followers can turn over time. Because it's not merely that we're enough that we're around Jesus. I love being around Jesus. I love being around Jesus' people. But it's the transformative power of Jesus that makes the difference in our lives. It's being transformed by Jesus and living that out. Judas never got to that point. Judas was never transformed. Now, to be fair, most of the disciples at this point are very rough around the edges. Judas doesn't even make the attempt to get to where they are at this point. Now, we like it when the villain gets what he deserves, which is why we often, we don't shed a tear when we read about Judas hanging himself. But by doing so, we miss a really important chance to learn from his life. And I want to get back to that after we talk about Peter. Now, Peter, Peter is the exact opposite of Judas. Judas likes to sit back in the corner and watch and wait and calculate. Peter, Peter is loud. Peter is proud. Peter loves to be at the front. He's confident in who he is. In fact, that's, that's where we see him today. Peter's made this big puffed chest speech about how he's never going to let Jesus down. And I can see him. He's probably pointing at the rest of the disciples. Not like these guys. I'm better. Even if I have to die, I'm not leaving you. So when Jesus tells him, nope, you're still going to do it. Peter thinks that he, you know, he's Peter, he's the rock, and he will always be steady, and he's always going to be there for Jesus. Now, when we look at that, because we all have people in our lives that we think of that way, people we can always depend on, people who will always be there, they've always got our backs, but it's important for us to understand that so much of what we feel and what we experience in life, Jesus experienced as well. Jesus had a group of people who he could count on, who he could depend on him, who walked with him, literally walked with him everywhere. Yet they still fell. They still disappointed. Jesus was tempted to sin. He was tempted to follow his own pathway from God's. Jesus experienced loss, sorrow, joy, friendship. But he also experienced betrayal by his friends as well. we have to realize that Jesus already knows that we're not perfect. That we're going to stumble. That we're going to fall. And here's what's awesome. If you want to learn one thing from Peter and from Judas, listen to this. Jesus knows that you are going to let him down sometimes. He still brings you along anyway. That is how much he values you. That is how much he loves you. Jesus knows that Judas is going to betray him. Yet he still brings him along for three years, following him every day. Jesus knows that Peter is going to deny him. Yet he has put his utmost trust into Peter. 
Jesus knows we will fail at times, but that doesn't stop him from wanting us to be with him, to come along with him, to work alongside him. Jesus knows. He knows he's going to be betrayed. He knows he's going to be denied. In fact, he's having dinner with the very people who will do it. And he invites them along anyway to come pray with him in a garden, in the dark, in isolation. And what Jesus tells Peter is going to happen, happens. Disciples, they they all come with him, but they can't. They can't stay awake. Jesus prays, and they fall asleep. Three separate times they fall asleep. And I'm thinking about Peter at this time. And you know how we get that when somebody tells us we're going to do something that isn't good and we don't want to do it and we get this running dialogue going on our head. And Peter's sitting there going, I'm not going to deny Jesus. I'm not going to deny Jesus. I'm not going to deny Jesus. It's over and over and over in his head. Trying to convince himself that he's not going to do it. Peter is a loyal guy. He's astonished that Jesus says he will betray him. Now, Luke chapter 22, we're fast forwarding. Jesus has been arrested. They're out of the garden. And Peter, just like he said, Peter is hanging about. He didn't run. He's hanging around waiting to see what's going to happen. He's doing his best not to deny Jesus. And it says this, Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now, when, we're, when you were kids, if you went to Sunday school, when you get told this story, I always have this picture in my head. It's the flannel gram. And Peter's always over here in this courtyard by a fire. And Jesus is way over here inside somewhere. But that's not what we actually read in Scripture. Peter is within eyesight of Jesus. He can see him. Jesus can see him. But Peter is still feeling enough pressure, enough fear, that he denies them. Now, why would Peter do this? Like we said before, Peter's been there from the start. He's seen the miracles. Peter's been empowered to do miraculous things himself. But Peter sees Jesus, the Messiah, being arrested, not fighting back, not even denying anything, trying to get out of it. 
The Messiah was supposed to be a strong figure that wasn't pushed around by the religious leaders or the Romans. Fear creeps into Peter's heart. And this causes him to break. Because he doesn't want to be arrested too. Fear is a powerful emotion that causes the most courageous and loyal to become cowardly and abandoning. Peter denies Jesus. He betrays his loyalty to his friend. But Jesus still brought him to the garden. Even though Peter walked with Jesus for years, he, he publicly denied him. However, Peter's story, unlike Judas's, doesn't end in tragedy. Peter's story doesn't end with the betrayal. You go to John 21, verse 15 and 19. And if you ever want to see a picture of the heart of Jesus, it's right here. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Peter has denied Jesus three times and has now proclaimed his love for Jesus three times. When we read this passage, we, we gloss over the last thing. I haven't read it yet. And it says this. And after saying this, this is Jesus, Jesus says to him, follow me. Peter has let him down. And Jesus says, follow me. I know, you've I know you denied me. I know you failed when I needed you to be strong. But follow me. Jesus restored Peter. He did not condemn him. He welcomed him, welcomed him back in loving arms. Welcomed him back and said, the plan I had for you is still the plan I have for you. Follow me. Jesus, instead of handing out retribution for, for this act of denial, instead gives Peter love. Gives him reconciliation. We need to remember that for those of us, so this is all of us, all of us who have let Jesus down, he still shows open arms to forgive us and restore us to a better hope. Judas and Peter, they're two sides of the same coin. They both saw miracles, the teachings, the amazing way that Jesus interacted with people 
Peter failed in a moment. But he didn't let that moment prove who he was. Judas failed his entire walk with Jesus and let that moment decide who he was. The difference is in their hearts. Remember how we talked about Judas over time took these steps from going from loving Jesus to wanting to use Jesus for his own benefit to having no use at all for him. Judas had let his heart grow cold to who Jesus was and what Jesus could actually do for him. Peter never lets his heart grow cold. Never. This whole time, even in his denial, his denial is out of fear. Not because he is angry, but because he is afraid. Whereas Judas, his betrayal is because his heart has been hardened. Driven by greed and bitterness. Now we all have our own expectations of Jesus. We'd be kidding ourselves if we said we didn't. We all have our own expectations for what we want him to do in our lives, for what we want him to do in our communities, in our children's lives. We all have expectations of what we want to see. Now, sometimes they don't match up. There are dreams that I have that God does not have for me. And they don't work. They don't match up. And we have to make sure that we pass this test that Peter does. That instead of getting angry, instead of becoming bitter when things don't work out the way we think they're going to, that we remember the closeness of Jesus. And we remember that scene by the sea where Jesus welcomes Peter back and reaffirms how much Peter means to him and how much he loves him and how much he values him. If we let our doubts and our frustrations with God, pursuit of worldly things to cloud our judgment, we can ourselves begin to deny the reality of who Jesus is. We have to be willing to ask ourselves. And this is the question this week that I want you to ponder as we head into Good Friday, as we head into Easter and celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. Where is my heart? Where do I have Jesus? Is Jesus walking with me as a friend? Or do I look at Jesus as a business associate? As somebody who can benefit me? We need to examine ourselves this time of year. Really, all the time. But while our focus this week remains on Jesus and his death, his resurrection, it's a time where we can take to really look inside ourselves and see where our hearts are pointing towards Jesus. Thank you for joining us here today on the Bethel Sermon Series podcast. We want to invite you to join us in person at 6029 Lapeer Road on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You can also find out more information on our Facebook page or go to our website at www.bethelfamily.live. That's www.bethelfamily.live for more information. God bless. 
Have a great week. Subscribe and join us back for next week. Thank you.